You're listening to Ready to Real Estate, a TREB podcast. Hear stories, uncover insights, and tune into interviews on key issues that impact realtors and all of us. Join us as we discover how people, properties, and communities all come together to build the future of real estate. Hi, everyone. It's Jason Mercer, TREB's Chief Market Analyst. Election day is June 2nd, and joining me today are candidates running in the provincial election. In today's episode, we are talking housing positions, including supply, affordability, and policies that impact the real estate market. I would like to welcome Lisa Patel from the Liberal Party riding in Scarborough Southwest, and Abhijit Manet from the Green Party riding in Beaches, East York. Thanks to both of you. Pleasure. Invitations were also sent out to the Progressive Conservative and NDP parties. However, representatives from those parties were unable to join us today. However, we do do these podcasts on a regular basis, and so we'll endeavor to schedule another podcast with the remaining two parties later on this month. So with that said, I'd like to start off with introductions. And so each of you can proceed in turn, and you'll have 90 seconds to make opening remarks. Uh, Lisa, let's start with you. Thank you very much, Jason. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Lisa Patel. Um, I have been a TREB member for the last 13 years, uh, as well as the past president of uh, TREB. And happy to take on this new voyage is the Ontario Liberal candidate for Scarborough Southwest. Thank you very much. Short and sweet. We appreciate that. <laughs> Abhijit, take it away. Thank you so much. My name is Abhijit Mane. I'm the deputy leader of the Ontario Green Party, as well as, as the MPP candidate uh, for the Greens here in Beaches East York. Um, I'm also the co-chair of our platform committee um, for the Ontario Greens. And so um, housing was a big issue for me. I'm 32 years old. I'm a millennial. And it's something that resonates with me because our generation and younger generations to come are struggling with the housing crisis across the province. And so the Ontario Greens have released a very ambitious and a very uh, doable uh, housing plan that really, uh, I think, will help Ontarians access that housing that is missing uh, currently from their ambitions and dreams. So uh, looking forward to this discussion and uh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much. Uh, and now we'll move into the, the question and answer portion of this. And uh, I'll ask a question of, of each candidate um, and you'll have one minute to respond and then 30 seconds for rebuttal if you feel it is necessary. Uh, and the, the first question I wanted to touch on, and it's a, a major issue um, you know, at all levels of government and certainly has been in, 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 in recent elections and I'd, I'd say will be at the provincial level, obviously, but also as we move into uh, municipal elections uh, later this year. And that's you know, the affordability of housing and the serious lack of supply. And so um, to each of you, if elected, how do you ensure that more homes are built in our region, both the GTA and I'd argue even the broader Greater Golden Horseshoe. And so let's start with Abhijit first. Sure thing. So basically, I think supply is such a, a necessary, uh, you know, an increase in supply is such a necessary step that needs to be taken immediately. Uh, one of the ways that the Greens are proposing to do exactly that is through a public-private partnership. So uh, public uh, governments can increase supply for affordable housing, uh, social housing, and make those investments immediately, and then partner with many different private enterprises, including uh, nonprofits, including co-ops, to help increase supply on that end. 
Another one uh, to do is also giving people the uh, ability to create supply within existing housing. Uh, so uh, letting people create duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes within their own housing. Uh, if they want to create granny suites or laneway housing, they should be able to. If they want to make tiny homes, they should be able to. So that's basically the Green Party plan, just to create, let uh, creative and innovative solutions prosper throughout the real estate market in Ontario. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's exactly how we'll do it. Thank you very much. And uh, I'll turn it over to, to Lisa for her response. Uh, thank you, Jason. You know what, I'm going to say this. We, we all know that there is um, a massive demand for housing. And I mean, we've witnessed it more so um, through the pandemic than ever before. And even in my time as, as president of TREB, I mean, we witnessed it around the world. So ultimately, I will say that um, I appreciate the Green Party's initiatives because it's very similar. Um, and and any, uh, any aspirations for uh, creating housing is always going to be important. But the Ontario Liberal Party um, has committed to uh, build 1.5 million homes. And uh, of course, that plan it also incorporates building a new Ontario Home Building Corporation to finance and um, for housing of all types. Um, so that's going to also help with the waitlist for social and supportive housing and build more affordable homes for first-time buyers. Um, we're also committed to working with municipal partners um, and, in, and opening and extending and to end the exclusionary zoning. So we're looking at all forms. Um, we've also agreed to um, many of the policies that also that TREB has put out in their market year and review and outlook report. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, we do have time today. So if either one of you want to add for an extra 30 seconds, uh, we'd appreciate the commentary. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to add also that um, the Greens are also advocating for inclusionary zoning to be mandated uh, so that we require a minimum percentage of 20% affordable units in all housing projects over a certain size. And we're also mandating that 100,000 new permanently affordable rental homes be built over the next decade in partnership with the federal government uh, under the national housing strategy. Um, it, you know, like we, all sorts of things are necessary, including even creating a seed fund for $100 million for cooperative housing, uh, as I mentioned earlier, through uh, either direct funding or through um, mortgage support. Um, and because co-ops are really a, parm, a form of nonprofit housing that provide both market rate and subsidized units. Um, so they include both ownership and rental options. And I think that kind of diversity is important. Lisa, any final points? Um, no, I think I've already touched on them. Thank you, though. Great. And I think, you know, some of the points that you brought up, I think we'll touch on again as we move through um, the, the other questions, because there's obviously a, a thread that runs through, you know, the housing issues that we've been experiencing. And I, and, and I think, you know, at the same time, the, the policy directions that different parties can go into to solve these issues. And, you know, uh, to that point, and, and Lisa, we'll start with you. Um, it's, it's been it's become increasingly difficult. Um, you know, we'd argue to, to purchase a home in the GTA, we've seen tight market conditions with extremely strong competition between buyers, and it's resulted in high home prices and accelerating home price growth. 
um, over the last couple of years, notwithstanding the impacts of COVID-19 and, and more recently, um, interest rate hikes. And so if this persists, um, you know, we're going to be hampering economic development in the region and in Ontario more broadly, with, whereas people and companies look to more affordable locales to, to set up shop and, and, and to move and find a job. And so, you know, again, we've talked about supply specifically, but what else will be part of your respective housing and broader economic development plans as we look forward? And so, again, we'll start with Lisa first on this one. Um, so one of the things that I can say that the Ontario Liberals have uh, put out for, put forth in their their platform is um, that they are going to ban non-resident ownership. Um, they also on taxing um, empty homes and and put it to uh, a, a lose it levy or on speculations. So, um, so when we think about those aspects, um, that does cover a small percentage, but that it that we know that still exists um, in terms of actual policy. And I know that. Um, that we're still in discussions about these things, but I've also mentioned this on other podcasts and um, as well as media channels that I also believe one of the challenges too is a lot of our, our programs, I mean, outside of the, the party itself, that a lot of our programs that have existed for many years, like for example, the first time buyers program, RSPs, um, they were created in a different era of time. I think that one of the things that we can ultimately do too is work with all levels of government to actually redefine those because of uh, based around where we are in terms of price points and everything else and and change it based on more realistic on on our era today and and what to expect in the future because this isn't gonna this isn't just gonna go away in a couple of years this is something that we have to stay prevalent on um, for the years ahead. Thank you very much. And, and over to Abhijit, sort of expanding upon your housing and, and economic development plans. Yeah, I think we definitely have to just create more pathways to home ownership. And yeah, one of the one of the ways to do that absolutely is to end the speculation in the market. And uh, we're advocating for a vacancy tax, but also a multiple home buyers tax. So if you own more than two properties, uh, the third property will be taxed at 20%. And the more properties you own progressively, um, that's going to lead to a higher uh, tax uh, uh, imposition on you. Uh, what we are also advocating for is, I think we're the only party that's advocating for ending blind bidding uh, to bring more transparency to the home purchasing process, as well as ending, uh, as well as mandating um, uh, mandatory uh, home inspections at all in all uh, instances. Uh, we also, you know, are, are consulting and developing on building a uh, down payment support program to help low and middle income first time home buyers, um, and developing and supporting alternative home ownership pilot programs such as co housing, tiny homes, rent to own, and shared uh, equity plans. Um, we also are encouraging the development of new uh, co-op housing, as well as allowing single family dwellings to be divided into multiple condominium units. And uh, we also just need to make it easier for homeowners uh, to add rental units to help pay down their mortgage as well, um, which is uh, why we're simplifying and streamlining the application process for homeowners to add those additional units uh, and create opportunities for homeowners to add more rental units through zoning changes as well. I think those are all interesting points. And, and as with the previous question, Lisa, if you wanted to, to add anything on top of that, now's your time. Um, no, I guess I would just more have a question to um, Abjit, and that is with respect to um, if you could repeat your, your comment about home inspections. Sorry, was it that the Green Party is going to, it wants to put them as mandatory or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we want to make uh, home inspections mandatory um, and 
yeah, it is just it, like the current system is just so predatory and it leads to all sorts of precarious and really, um, um, you know, shady practices in, in the market. So I think protecting consumers is, is definitely one of the uh, biggest priorities of the interior beans. Yeah. Thank you. Now, thinking about, you know, an important cohort uh, of, uh, of, of buying activity uh, that we see, and this is whether we're talking about the resale market or the new home market, uh, is, is, is the segment uh, known as first-time buyers. Uh, and we can think of first-time buyers as, as people that have grown up or were born here and grew up and moved away from, from their, their, their family home and, and, and purchased a home of their own. We can also think of first-time buyers, at least to Canada, um, as, uh, as people who move here from other jurisdictions, from other countries around the world. And make no mistake, when you're thinking about population growth on net, whether we're talking about the greater Toronto area, broader, greater Golden Horseshoe, our population doesn't grow, uh, but for immigration. Um, and, and, and so, you know, thinking about those two sort of classes of first time buyers, if you will, um, generally speaking, you know, up until say three or four years ago, that segment of the market was accounting for half or more. Um, of overall buying intentions. And that's based on polling that, that Trev has done in conjunction with Ipsos um, at the end of each year. But this is no longer the case. We started to see that number trend downwards um, over the past few years. Um, and obviously affordability uh, um, was a factor there. And I would also argue supplier, the availability um, of the types of homes that would make sense for first-time buyers to be uh, to be focused on. And so if your parties form the next uh, provincial government, how do you specifically help first-time buyers. And so Abhijit, we'll start with you with this question. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, uh, as I'm, I'm myself, uh, you know, we'll, we'll qualify under this category. Uh, like I said, I'm a millennial and I, I know so many of my friends who are struggling with this because I think, you know, like the average down payment is worth $200,000. Um, and in Toronto, the average person takes about 22 years to get that. So again, Getting that first down payment, I think having some sort of uh, support for that is is crucial. Um, and uh, all the things that I mentioned earlier are, are part of are part of this of that solution. But we also need to make sure we're protecting uh, home and condo owners once they actually get home ownership as well. Um, so, in basic, that means enhancing consumer protection for new home buyers by following uh, Justice Cunningham's recommendations, which included the end to Terrian monopoly and reforming the home warranty system to create that. Uh, multi-provider model um, and ensuring greater government oversight of warranty coverage and duration, right? Like, um, so those protections have to be built in for the confidence to build within the market so that people can go and buy. And all the things that I mentioned earlier, I think are instances where, uh, which will help people uh, become first time home buyers, including um, the, um, the, the mandatory inspections, including uh, ending blind bidding, uh, and including things like ending mandatory minimum parking requirements for all new developments, which can reduce that upfront uh, housing cost for first-time buyers. Thank you, Abhijit. Uh, Lisa, over to you. How are the, the Liberal Party uh, focusing on, on first-time buyers and help that cohort out? Uh, thanks, Jason. So I can say that, um, you know, the Ontario Liberal Party is, is committed 
um, not only to families and individuals and first-time buyers, but um, we are committed to even putting a housing plan that will uh, double the pace of home building this year with that whole uh, 1.5 million in homes. And, and of course, part of that plan, as mentioned earlier, was, was creating an Ontario Home Building Corporation um, that will help finance a lot of the different types of housing types. And, and this will also add to the incentive uh, buys for first-time buyers. So I think a lot of that program and the fact of that we're um, hoping to uh, sorry, double the pace um, of, of building will create a lot of that, that fill a lot of that need. Um, I, but I also mentioned earlier that, you know, incentives and creating more incentive programs in the future will also help um, for, for first-time buyers. Abhijit, any rebuttal? Um, and I mean, I just want to also add that, uh, uh, you know, in terms of again, making it easier for homeowners to add those rental units is, is another part of that puzzle that's that's really missing right now, it, which means providing incentives uh, and improving the rules to help home buyers turn their accessory dwellings, their driveways, their laneways into more affordable units. Um, and also, uh, I think what's missing is providing low interest loans for individuals or families to add more affordable units, such as those secondary suites and basement apartments onto their primary residence. Uh, there's just a lot of those um, facets of this of this problem that are missing from the solution, and that's what we need. Thank you very much. And Lisa, any final shot, thoughts? Um, I think we're on the same page uh, where we, well, the Ontario Liberal Party has also agreed to the extensions of uh, secondary and laneway housing suites, um, which will also add for to value for first-time buyers. I also just want to add that, you know, you said what, what your government will do, and we recognize the Ontario Greens are probably not going to form government this time around. Uh, but we just want to say that we, we probably won't form government, but we can definitely inform government. And with a few, you know, four to five Green MPPs, we can be the balance of power in, in, a, in the next uh, uh, minority government. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, I really think that's, uh, that's something that can help um, Ontario uh, housing market in general. Thank you. Kind of had a, a, a second rebuttal there. So Lisa, anything if you want to add when we, before we move to the next question? You know what? No, I think there, that ultimately, you know, when it comes to the housing market, it's, it's all going to be collaboration. Um, and I think Everjeet said it best when, you know, he, he talked about potentially a minority government, whoever it is, at the end of the day, it, it's got to be collaboration across the board. And, and I think the best thing at this point is the fact that everybody on all levels of government recognize that housing is the importance of housing and shelter. And um, it's more, more so now whoever comes into power is working with every level of government to, to get us there. I think that's a good point. And, you know, it's a nice segue into the next thing I want to talk about, because, you know, it, it, you're right. I mean, I think it is important to have collaboration between not only different parties uh, uh, that, 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 that represent the different views across our province in terms of in terms of housing and affordability and obviously collaboration between the different levels of government. Housing doesn't get done from from one level of government alone. But I think it's also important to think about the interplay uh, between different types of real estate, whether you're talking about uh, uh, ownership and rental or whether you're talking about residential commercial. And that's where I want to turn to now, because, you know, one of the issues that arose during the pandemic was a shift in both office type work and commercial services, particularly uh, revolving around uh, uh, retail and, and bricks and mortar retail. And there's always been a give and take 
from an economic development perspective between different land uses. And so how do you see the dichotomy between commercial and residential land uses unfolding in the future? And, and perhaps speak to this in conjunction with your plans for, for transit and infrastructure development as well. And so we can start with Lisa first. <laughs> okay, thanks, Jason. Um, so a couple things. So first off, um, you know, I, I mean, you, you, you said it best, I think I even asked you this question at, uh, at the most recent event held by Trump, but um, ultimately, I, I believe commercial will come back. And, um, and I think it's just a matter of time. And, and especially retail commercial, I mean, industrial uh, commercial is a whole other story. But um, I think it will play still a significant role in the years ahead. Um, but ultimately, like there's also a lot of sites that um, that have the opportunity to become more mixed use, which will also add value to the GTA overall. Um, and of course, in terms of um, like, I think diversification plays the biggest role. And I think that when I think about uh, the Ontario Liberal Party, I, I know that they're committed to every level for, of diversification and that's going to bring, that's going to help, especially as we progress with, um, with, with our levels of immigration to come, um, because that's also going to play another factor of either are we going to repeat what we've already witnessed or are we going to be ahead of the game and prepared for it? Thank you very much. And Abhijit, what's your point of view? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the transit bit there because I mean, how many of us, like are, my, me, myself, I remember when uh, I was commuting to work, now that I'm working from home, it's, it's a lot easier, but um, I remember spending hours each day commuting and it's just a soul crushing thing. And, it, and we're not alone, right? Like many people are forced to live away from work uh, that's hours in a car instead of doing basically anything else. And that can be frustrating. It takes a toll on physical and mental health and it costs more in fuel and parking as well. Uh, so transit investment can really energize and build up those neglected urban and rural areas, um, decrease or lack of bus service in rural towns hurts downtowns, neighborhoods and cities that have been undervalued or ignored in transit decisions means essential workers are essentially forced to spend hours commuting. So what we're advocating for is pre-zone um, for missing middle and mid-rise on transit corridors and main streets. That, that'll really help get projects moving faster and reduce building costs. We also require minimum densities along those transit corridors as part of the growth plan and transit funding agreements between the province and municipalities. Um, and we also want to develop, you know, 15-minute neighborhoods, basically, by working with uh, municipalities uh, where everyone can walk to their nearest grocery store, their nearest theater, their nearest restaurant, whatever they want to. Uh, we're going to work with municipalities on rezoning using a framework that is flexible to suit a variety of towns and cities across the province. Thank you very much. Um, you know, I, I think it's a really important issue. So certainly, Lisa, if you had anything to add or, or, or comment. Sorry, I, I didn't add um, that our part, uh, the part about transit too. Um, so the Ontario Liberal Party is, has put it proposed um, making transit a buck a ride. So um, which would ultimately help uh, get more car, cars off the road, uh, would also help them um, get more people using transit, which would also help our carbon emissions um, and climate change overall, but it would it also would get this system running. Um, what we've seen with transit too, one of the challenges since the pandemic is the lack of 
um, those taking it. But you know, with special projects like um, the Durham line that's ex that we're proposing to support, um, as well as the the LRT line that's good that's uh, also being proposed that we would support. Um, so more extensions of trans mass transit would play um, a vital role, and having more people also inclined to use transit would get those numbers up, which would also put uh, be able to put more funding towards transit in the future because um, we've seen this before, you know, where we've invested in transit um, and then we stopped investing in it. And then we've seen a backlog of, of scenarios that have come up and, and now we're, we're struggling to get more transit out. So I think if ultimately, which would also help more communities and would also bring um, opportunities for those to, uh, to be able to get commute more back to work. Cause we're, we, we, as we're seeing more of this um, uh, hybrid model, um, and we're, and at some point we'll go back into more of, of whatever was called normalcy at, at some point, and we'll see more people return back to the office on a full-time permanent basis. Um, I think transit will play a vital role, but I also want to mention that we're also committed to like $300 million, um, being used in new funding for over up to five years to create, um, different, um, different incentivize. Jason, can I add something real quick? Absolutely. Yeah. I just, I forgot to mention that we like in, in working with municipalities bit, um, we want to ensure that all neighborhoods allow for a mix of housing uh, of different types and tenures so that everyone has access to housing uh, in their own community throughout all the stages of life that a person goes through. Um, so if we think about neighborhoods that offer rental and ownership opportunities, both affordable and at market rate. So those housing types, uh, like a mix of triplexes, walk-up apartments, stacked townhouses, single detached dwellings, et cetera, and about the size of the units as well, so that there are smaller homes that will work for students, as well as homes with multiple bedrooms to allow for growing families. And I think that's a that's a nice segue now into, into the next question. Sorry, Maybe actually, Jason, can I just add one sure. more point to that? And I, and I think this was an important one because this one did come up in, in my writing particularly that um, we're really happy about it. Um, so we've also committed to uh, more of um, interested municipalities to permit street voting, um, which would let uh, single streets or residents and both renters and owners uh, vote to increase minimum housing allowances. And it also gives them the opportunity to be part of that process. I, I think that's an interesting point, and I think it's something that the both of you can expand on in, in, in my next question. And I think it is a hot button issue because when you think about missing middle, when you think about the interplay between commercial and residential, a lot of this comes back to that concept of, of exclusionary zoning. I really think it is a, a hot button issue when you think about you know the province um, and, and the Provincial Planning Act, the, the provincial policy statement and how that drills down then into actual development approvals at the at the municipal level. And so uh, I want to get you know both of your thoughts on exclusionary zoning um, and, and perhaps more broadly, you know, if, if you're if you're not in favor of exclusionary zoning, sort of how would you uh, sort of broaden the scope for development uh, in existing neighborhoods? And of course, if you are in favor of exclusionary zoning, perhaps, you know, help us understand uh, why that uh, may be. And so we'll start with Abhijit and then Lisa. Well, it's just, just to first define the missing middle. 
uh, for folks who don't know what that is, it's basically houses and high rises are an important part of the housing mix, right? But there's a lot of space in between. Uh, so that's what we mean by adding the missing middle, which is the triplexes, the fourplexes, the walk of apartment buildings into existing neighborhoods. Is that's a great way to increase supply and create that the gentle density that that is necessary. Um, it, we we definitely are in support of inclusive zoning because uh, that's what we need right now in order to create a more affordable housing market. That's why we're at mandating 20% of inclusionary zoning. Um, and uh, in terms of uh, creating a more diverse supply, I, I mean, I, I just will refer back to the points I made before about working with municipalities in order to create that uh, diversity of supply. And I think respect for municipal governments is a massive uh, piece that is missing in the current government's dealings with uh, municipalities in general, whether it was uh, their overreach on Toronto's uh, elect election system uh, and its ward system, or uh, whether it was the rampant sprawl that they're uh, encouraging um, from, from spreading in many different municipalities against their wishes. So cooperating with municipalities, I think, is uh, a very important um, uh, project that needs to be handled with a lot more respect than the current provincial government is doing. Thank you very much. And over to you, Lisa. Thank you. Um, we, we, we plan on working closely with um, our municipal partners to, uh, to end exclusionary zoning and allow homes up to three units and two stories to be built as uh, the right in residential areas across the province. But we're also encourage uh, the development of low rises, um, missy middle multiplexes and other mid rise uh, housing options near rapid transit stations and routes that are uh, neighborhood transition zones. Um, just to expand a little further, um, we are also um, willing to provide municipalities with housing support, um, which would be like $100 million per year to promote housing first, which is opposed to, to ending chronic um, homelessness, as well as uh, quickly move people into independent permanent housing and uh, comprehensive supports. Abhijit, any final thoughts? Yeah, just, I mean, like in many cities and towns in Ontario, exclusionary zoning in neighborhoods prevents those multi-unit homes really from being built, right? Like it encourages sprawl development, it eats up farmland, it eats up green space, and it means basically we end up living further away from work, shops and amenities. And so sprawl is, it, it's just bad for both the people, for pocketbooks, as well as for the environment. And so restrictive zoning has led to those neighborhoods that exclude certain residents and have dwindling uh, populations and it limits supplies in neighborhoods who want to live, drive, uh, we want to live in right like and it, it drives up demand uh, which in turn is one of the drivers of increasing housing prices so instead like if we think about what makes a vibrant neighborhood it's basically a true mix of housing types that are designed to reflect the needs of the people whether it, it be a family of four or a senior wanting to downsize and again i've had these conversations at the doors uh, across beaches east york and we should all be able to find affordable accessible housing in our own communities through all stages of our lives Thank you very much. And Lisa, any final thoughts? Um, well, just to comment a little bit, I mean, I think we are, we already know across the GTA that we already see a mixed level of housing and it's, and it's always keeping the diversification of housing at the forefront. Um, but we also need to make sure that we're empowering um, our municipalities and um, expanding zoning options and, and helping reward municipalities to meet their exceed um, higher housing targets. 
All right. Well, thank you very much to, to both of you in terms of our, our discussion around policy point of the development and 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 uh, and, and land use, uh, particularly around housing, but also uh, in a mix of uses as well. But for our last discussion point, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the actual real estate transaction. Now, recently, the government of Ontario released uh, detailed regulations under the new Trust and Real Estate Services Act, TRESA. Uh, in regards to giving choices to a home seller on how to sell the property. It will also protect the personal information of buyers making offers. Once these regulations come into force in April 2023, home sellers will have the option of using an open offer process if all parties agree, in addition to the existing closed offer process known as blind bidding. Will your party agree to protect the homeowner's right to decide how to sell their home by not banning the traditional offer process? I'll, I'll start with Lisa and then we'll go to Abhijit. Um, I can tell you um, up front that um, our leader, Stephen Daljika, has made it clear uh, that homeowners should have the right to choose. Thank you very much, Abhijit. I think this is one point where we defer. We definitely are in favor of ending blind bidding uh, because it, it leads to um, a lot of speculation and a lot of the froth that we see in the market. So uh, we definitely think that if we want first time home buyers to be able to enter the market, blind bidding needs to go away. Lisa, any final thoughts on Tressa? Um, you know what? Not at this time. Sorry. All right. Well, thank you very much. And, and we appreciate all of your thoughts on, on the, the various issues. And, and, and certainly if you think about housing and housing development and, and supply and affordability, it very much is, is multifaceted. And, you know, we're very interested to hear the, 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 the points of view across the, the, the political spectrum. And, and it's been an interesting uh, year in the sense we had a federal election and now the provincial election and we'll be drilling down to the municipal level later this year. And so, you know, in a short period of time, we've been able to discuss and debate uh, the merits of different policy directions uh, on the housing market. So it's, it's a very important conversation to have. Um, now, at this point in time, our, our question period has ended, but I'd like to give each of you 90 seconds for any closing remarks to sort of wrap up your overall thoughts on the housing market. And let's start with Abhijit first. Thank you. Uh, one of the things that we we didn't mention during this conversation is basically uh, launching a transformational green building program to create both jobs, saving energy, and addressing the climate crisis. Um, and decisions we make today about how we build uh, places to live and work will have lasting impacts on the economy, on health, on prosperity, and the environment for generations. So uh, it's not only about what and where we build, but also how we build. Uh, so building operations account for about 24% of Ontario's climate pollutions and the materials they're made of, such as cement, metal, plastics, create much more climate pollution, also damage air, land, and water. So we need to dramatically cut both types of environmental damage from both new and existing buildings. And the good news is that a green building program for homes and buildings will be a good will be good for both climate and for air, land, and water. So also it'll be good for the economy because it'll help create millions of jobs and made in Ontario opportunities. It'll massively scale up green building transition. It will bring down costs about opening doors for both workers and entrepreneurs to both build resilient careers and businesses in all parts of Ontario. And so it'll be good for our bottom line. Our, over time, saving energy means saving money on our energy bills. Improving air quality will also make sure that uh, our healthcare costs go down. So it's all, all 
all in all, a big win-win. And uh, I really think that uh, the Ontario Greens, in cooperation with other parties, can absolutely make this happen. Um, and uh, we, we definitely just need to make sure that we send more Ontario Greens to Queen's Park. Um, Mike Trainer has been a leader on this issue and he just needs more support from other Green MPPs there as well. Um, and, and I just also want to thank Lisa and uh, for, for all of her uh, comments today. And I hope the Conservatives and the NDP also join you uh, in future sessions. Thank you very much. Lisa Patel, over to you. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. Um, so uh, I'm just going to get into final thoughts in, in a second, but I just really want to acknowledge that any any form of uh, commitment um, from all levels of government to housing is critical. So it's just it's really good to see that it's on everybody's radar and forefront. Um, and what I can also say is that I hope that um, that other levels of government uh, do rely on our stakeholders like Treb, uh, Korea, Urea. Um, build and even Black North housing, because those are all critical components to this. And I've, I've, I've stated this even for, for a couple of years since my presidency, that it's so important that not only municipalities come to the table, but all levels of stakeholders uh, to really work on, on this project and, in, and, and for the future, for now and for the future. But in terms of the Ontario Liberal Party, um, I just want to highlight um, a couple more points, um, really committed to empowering municipalities, accelerated housing projects, um, expanding zoning options, help and reward municipalities to meet exceed high, higher housing targets, and also promote housing and um, options near transit stations, converting under uh, underutilized industrial and commercial sites into new homes, and of course, allowing renters and owners to increase their minimum housing permissions. Uh, so we've got a whole platform. Um, there's even more on the table that we've discussed. And I know that uh, that um, Abjit also mentioned um, about a lot of green initiatives. So we've also um, offered incentives for, for even homeowners to help um, in that process with their homes. So those are, those are all things to expect and to come out. Um, but more importantly, for everybody that's listening, um, it's so important that you pay attention. I know it's hard to, to watch a lot of politics that's taken place in the last couple of years, but it's so important for, for our industry to be involved um, and to, to hear what's going on and, and the types of initiatives because it impacts not only all of us, but it impacts everyone around us. And so I think that to anybody listening, more importantly, exercise your right to go out and vote. Um, and of course, um, support a fellow colleague more than anything else. Um, you know, we, we on the Ontario Real Estate Association talks about um, more realtors in politics, right? And if we think about our realtor community and, and the work that we do, we're so engaged and involved in community and we're so involved in policy that this is our opportunity to help support a fellow colleague that understands the foundations and that is gonna help express our views and make sure that, that we have somebody that, that understands it enough to, to speak up and, and hopefully collaborate with all levels of government to get to the points where we need to. Thank you very much. And I wanna thank both of you candidates for the upcoming provincial election, Abhijit Manet from the Green Party and Lisa Patel from the Liberal Party. And I also wanna to thank to all of you who tuned in today. And don't forget to cast your vote in the provincial election on June 2nd. Thank you very much. And we'll talk to you all soon. That's it for us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website, treb.ca. That's T-R-R-E-B dot C-A to find market insights and more. This has been another episode of Ready to Real Estate, and thanks for tuning in. Thank you.